Sing Second Sports is a ProVision Advisors production. Let us solve your toughest communication problems and leave your team stronger and more capable for the challenges that lie ahead. Visit www.provisionadvisors.net to learn more. Hey, hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard another great episode of the Sing Second Sports Podcast. I am John Schofield. Joining me is Bill Wagner of the Capital Gazette, fresh from the game out in Colorado Springs. You know, the result was obviously very bad, and Bill uh, Keenan and EK are going to bring you that at the back end of this podcast. And Chris Cervello joins us. We are so thankful to report that Chris navigated his way through Hurricane Ian. We were very worried about him, but he is back and fresh off of uh, winning some money on that Navy game over the weekend. Don't worry, folks, when the power goes out, your betting apps still work. All joking aside, this is the Sing Second Sports Podcast, and this is your weekend wrap. Let's get right into it. Number one, let's start off on top. Nadia St. Marie and women's golf. Four Navy women's golfers finished among the top 20 individuals as the mid shot a 40 over par 616. Number one, WAG shoots 40 over par in one round, uh, but uh, the mids took the top spot among all 15 teams at the Navy Fall Invitational held at the Naval Academy Golf Club Saturday and Sunday in god-awful conditions, and the ladies navigated their way through two days of rain to win the Navy Fall Invitational. They went into the final round in first place after shooting the lowest team round of the weekend at 13 over par 301 on Saturday. And then that score stood as they navigated through Sunday off to them. Number two, rugby. The fighting Gavin Hickeys exacted a little bit of revenge for the football loss to Air Force by bringing home the Lieutenant Colonel Kevin Shea Memorial Rugby Cup. Um, They trounced Air 71 nil. They are now five and zero. This match marks the third time this season that Navy has had at least four players score ten plus points in a match. Navy also earned its third shutout victory in the season and has allowed just 15 points in five matches. So, Chris Cervello, I'm going to go ahead and take what you said before and encourage all of our listeners get out to Greenberry Point and watch Gavin Hickey's rugby team. You know, Chris, I, I, I have to ask you your perspective. Rugby is one of those things where we've got to say, are we the best team in the country? Well, we're a very good Navy team, and, and Navy has been good at rugby for a long time. Um, I, I think it's just the fact that they're now a varsity sport that sort of you know forces folks like us to pay closer attention. But th- this is an exciting group of guys. Um, and, and again, I mean, if you're in Annapolis, uh, get out there and watch them. Um, you, you're going to, you're going to really enjoy, uh, the product that they put on the field or on the pitch, I should say. So Wags, I know that you had a 5.00 AM wake up call on Saturday. Did you brave the late hour? Cause I know you're in your early eighties. Um, and wheel of fortune does not come on as early as it does anymore. Were you able to get out there and watch any of the rugby match in person? Unfortunately, I was not, and I'm kicking myself. I wanted to do so, but Rob Dunn, who handles uh, rugby, uh, I mean, he had 
overseeing club sports. So he has had a long association with rugby. He was out there and had some great reports. And uh, Phil Bergman, who does such a great job as Navy's video producer for Navy Athletics, he was out there to get some footage. I encourage everyone to go on the Navy Athletics website and check out the footage from the game. And the two teams did come together to sing the alma maters after the game. It was a very nice moment. Um, and I think Chris makes a really good point. We're, we're learning more about rugby because now that it's a varsity sport, it's getting coverage by sports information. And Scott Strassmeyer and his staff do a tremendous job. And I'm reading the, Navy, the rugby recap right now. And you're, I never had that before. I didn't read about rugby's great wins. I, I only heard after the fact they may have won or whatever. There's a big match coming up. But this guy, Lewis Gray, I talk about him every time. But you mentioned his Navy the best rugby team in the nation, possibly. But I think Lewis Gray might be the best rugby player in the country. And we are going to do our best to bring you, uh, Lewis Gray, this sometime this season during the pod. Uh, but let's get on to another red-hot team. Let's talk about the fighting Paco Labradors of volleyball. Number one, Hannah Hoover grabbed 18 digs during a three-set victory by Navy over Lehigh on Saturday afternoon at Wesley Brown. Uh, that was just one part of the uh, great weekend because Friday night, Jordan Llewellyn registered a double-double and five service aces in a four-set victory for Navy over Lafayette. That is a sweep this weekend of volleyball. And now, Wags, they sit pretty high in the Patriot League standings with a lot ahead of them uh, to be successful. So let's hope that the good times keep rolling for volleyball. Let's talk about soccer. First, I'll go to women's soccer. They had kind of scuffled a little bit after the really impressive opening uh, victory in the Patriot League uh, season against Bucknell. They gave up like, um, like I think it was in the 45th second uh, of the opening um, half there. Navy gave up an early goal in the first minute, but they mounted a second half rally. They beat Colgate 2-1 at Glen Warner. Friday night at 5 p.m., they were able to get that game moved up so that all the weather that came in this weekend did not affect that. Personally, for me, if Nadia's ladies can go out and win the Navy Fall Invitational, you can probably play a soccer game in the rain, but that's just me. But huge, huge victory against a team they should have beaten. All right, let's let's get real here. Colgate is 1-8-2. and two. All right, they do have a Patriot League victory, but they're 1-8-2. and two. So when we went down early, we had to come back and win, and they did. Next up is a tough roadie for the ladies at Lehigh on Friday. And now Wags, in advance of men's soccer's Army match for the Star in Philly on Friday night, the men got a really much-needed draw against BU, but uh, probably a result that should have been better um, yeah, the, the draw kept the midshipmen tied atop the league standings with Colgate, but you know, BU is 0-1 and 3. Another, you know, example of a team that we probably should have beaten the way that the women did, but the men fell short. We're still able to grab a point with the draw. But what's your assessment of that? Yeah, you know, I found it interesting that in the uh sports information wrap-up of that game, there's almost always a quote from the coach. And I noticed that there was no quote from Tim O'Donoghue, and I, I'm just guessing here, but I have a feeling he didn't have anything good to say, so he decided just to not say anything at all. But BU's 2-2-6 two, two, and six overall, as you mentioned, winless in the Patriot League. I mean, I, I think that's a game you got to win, John. I really do. 
Now, you mentioned, you know, Patriot League standings. Women's volleyball, with their very strong run of play late, is tied with Army West Point for second place in the Patriot League with a 5-1 record. Uh, Colgate is 6-0 and and leads the league. But uh, soccer, with uh, they're on a run of not losing, so the tie, it's a non-loss. Uh, soccer is also up there high in the standings. I think they're in second place as well. So, um, and I'll give you the exact, actually, John, I got it up right here. Navy's tied for first, 2-0-2 with Colgate. So they're in good position going into that Army match, which is a must win, as we know. Um, and then women's soccer, John, is not doing it. They're they're down a little mid, mid-pack in the standings. They- yeah, I think from my perspective, both as a former O-Rep and a fan, you know, right now, um, stranger things have happened within the uh, Patriot League season of women's soccer. But, you know, I, I think after the the couple of drops after the Bucknell win, You've got to then refocus on the understanding that you're probably going to have to go on the road um, in order to uh, in order to get the, to the NCAA tournament. Uh, we'll see if women's soccer can do that. Let's quickly wrap with a couple of more results. Women's rugby, Murph McCarthy and the ladies improved the record to three and one. They used a late scoring surge to defeat New Haven 25 to five on a really rainy afternoon in Westchester, Westchester, PA, they were down five, nothing until the last 16 minutes. And then they just poured it on to win 25 to five. Congrats to Murph and the ladies there. And then finally, let's talk about sprint football hangover from beating army. I don't think so. They won 26 to 13 against Caldwell. Well done to sprint football for all of these sports. You know, a really big weekend. We've left out some details on sailing and things like, like that. We'll get around to those next week. But really, I'm ready to break down the Navy football loss to Air Force on Saturday in Colorado Spring. So without any further ado, here's the Navy football podcast with Wags, EK, and Keenan. Fellas, it's a sad Sunday. Sadder than most when the loss was to hated service academy rival Air Force. Uh, six, 13 to 10, low-scoring, defensive-minded battle. And I think we should start with the Navy defense because you take away one blown play. It appeared to me that free safety Rayon Lane bid up on play-action fake, and uh, that allowed David Cormier, their outstanding wide receiver who we spoke about on the pregame podcast, to get behind the defense for an easy Pitch and catch, 69-yard touchdown. That was the third play from scrimmage in the game, and and Air Force is up 7-0. But after that, the Navy defense pretty much played lights out. I think they gave up 142 yards the rest of the game, uh, forced four punts, uh, forced two fumbles, one of which led directly to points because it was a fumble in Air Force territory. Uh, John Marshall made a tremendous play running down quarterback Hazeek Daniels from the backside to cause the first fumble. And that took points off the board because Air Force was at the Navy 14 yard line. So that was, you know, that was at least a field goal, if not a touchdown. So that was huge. And then late in the first half, defensive end Jacob Busick beat his man uh, on a pass protection and uh, came up behind Daniels as he was attempting to throw and stripped him. Not only did he strip and cause the fumble, but he recovered the fumble himself. So, Keenan, your thoughts on Navy's defensive effort 
They held Air Force to 13 points. They held Air Force to half of its nation-leading rushing average. Air Force finished with 200 rushing yards. To me, that's a winning effort. Your thoughts? Yeah, definitely a winning effort. Uh, obviously, to your point, take away that, that big-time play early in the game. Um, whole another ball game. When we talked about leading up to the game, that one of the things that we didn't want to see was um, Navy giving up those cheap plays. And Air Force is really good at, at like finding those plays against us for whatever reason, all kinds of stuff. So, you know, you take away that play, it's a, they, they don't score a touchdown. They didn't put together a sustained touchdown drive the entire game. We, they turned the ball over twice. There's not really much more you can ask for from your defense. Um, you know, big plays happen, mistakes happen, right? And, and you know, 13 points is more than enough. Uh, it, it's, not a, it's not a high bar for us to overcome, you know, offensively. So if we can't overcome that, you know, we're asking an awful lot of our defense. They almost got to play perfect in order for us to win. That's not realistic. That's not scalable. That's not going to lead to multiple chain wins. You got to be able to play together, right, and pick up where the other part is let, is let down. And right now, the defense has been kind of carrying the load for the team uh, this entire season. Well, it's gotten to the point that the defense is accepting responsibility where, in my opinion, they don't have to, but they basically are saying, well, Air Force shouldn't even have had 13. Shouldn't have given up a long touchdown play. And I know they were kicking themselves that after Navy tied the score 10-10, Air Force did drive right down the field. Pretty impressive drive to get what proved to be the game-winning field goal. Um, what is your thoughts, Eric, on what you saw of the defense? Do you feel like the defense did more than enough, did its part, and uh, you know, more, not much more you can do against a pretty potent Air Force attack. Yeah, defense did its part. You know, like you said, keeping two hundred yards. We talk about it every week. It's that the guys are just not. You know, it, it, you know, if we talked about it, it was a long drive to the facility, to the game. You know, not getting up there early. You know, stuff like this. But it seems like every game. They're starting off, other teams starting off with quick scores, big plays. And then it's immediately like after that, then an offensive player, like, okay, now, now we need to score. And, you know, that doesn't happen, especially in the past four games. So defense did do their job. Um, offense, again, um, you know, did not. So, you know, it, it's just, it, it's sad to see, uh, you know, the post-game conference afterwards and seeing Coach Neamont. And he talks about the players are all upset. You know, what, what can you, what can you t tell them in the locker room? What can you talk about? And, you know, it's it, it's. I feel bad, you know, for the team, for the players, for the whole uh, staff and organization. And um, you know, they always say it's on to the next game, and it, it has to be on to the next game. And you know, a couple things could change. Uh, you know, outcomes. We could be three and one right now versus you know one and three. So it's it's a little different. Well, let's move on to the offense, and that's probably going to take up the bulk of this post game report. Uh, in my opinion, it was just another discombobulated offensive performance. And I'm not quite sure what this team's intent is offensively. They just don't seem to have anything to hang their hat on. But first play of the game was an oddball. Ty Lavatai, the starting quarterback, lined up as a wide receiver. Anton Hall Jr., the fullback, and Mikel Haywood, the slot back, were in the backfield. It was a direct snap to Mikel Haywood, two yards. Second down, handoff to Anton Hall. He got destroyed in the backfield, no gain, and he was knocked out of the game, never to return. And the numbers speak for themselves, 114 rushing yards. I mean, that's just – Navy triple option football 
since Paul Johnson became the head coach in 2002, the bar is like 300 rushing yards. So 114 rushing yards. Quarterback Ty Lavatai, 34 yards on 12 carries. Mikel Haywood, 32 yards on eight carries. Vincent Terrell II, the other slot back, 29 yards on five carries. And then the fullback, the only fullback that got carries, which I think there's a, a mistake in the stat sheet because I know Logan Point, the other fullback who came in, he had a carry or two. But in the stats, it has Logan Daba Fafana with 10 yards on seven carries. So bottom line is every single time Navy gave the ball to the fullback, he ran into a wall of defenders and was going nowhere. So frankly, the offense was the passing game. It was like East Carolina all over again. 129 yards passing for Ty Lavatai and two long passes set up Navy in scoring territory. A 27-yard completion to Jay Numbarger got Navy in the red zone in the first half, and that ended up with a missed field goal. And we're going to talk about the play calling after Navy got to the 14-yard line. But then the uh, a 27-yard pass to Mark Walker in the second half led to a five-yard touchdown run by Ty Lavatai on a scramble off of a keeper. So I, I guess I'll start with Keenan. I mean, you saw the play calling. It's just, it's almost like Coach Niamat and the rest of the offensive staff are grasping at straws, trying to find something that will work. And, you know, I, we saw uh, a jet sweep to the, to the slot back. We saw that little play in which the slot back takes the ball and runs up inside. You know, tried the fullback dive, wasn't going anywhere. Ty got a couple good runs on keepers, but then had others which went nowhere. So, Keenan, analysis. Man, I tell you what, it's they're in a they're in a unique situation because it's like you're going up against Air Force. You can't we can't line up and run traditional the traditional triple option, very vanilla. Like that's that hasn't worked against Air Force in years. I I don't remember. I think maybe we were able to do that a couple of years while I was playing, but a lot of times we had specifically a specific game plan for that game that was a little bit different than what we normally did. So I'm, I'm not entirely surprised to see more gun stuff, especially going years and years and years against Air Force. I'm not surprised. They do that against Army as well. We saw that last year against an Army game, had a lot of success, were, were able to be uh, get enough to, to get a dub. But I think ultimately, like, we, I think we've kind of – I personally skirted around, like, putting some blame on the offensive line. I think that's just, like, some old quarterback habits. Um, you never blame your offensive line no matter what. I um, knew you were going to go there, Keenan. I knew I, – I had a feeling you are going to go there. <laughs> but I, I really do think that it starts up front. Like, I, I think it was very apparent um, for me watching the game because um, you're going to get to – it's not the service academy, so you can't play the size card, right? You can't play the bigger, stronger, you know, more athletic up front. These guys are, you know, similarly – uh, built from an athletic standpoint, probably recruited by both the same schools, right? So it, it, at this point, I think it's just we're getting beat up front more times than we're winning, at least from my pers perspective. Um, I could definitely be wrong, but from my perspective, it looks like we're getting beat more than we're winning up front, which makes it really, really hard to run the ball. And I think that's it also is kind of evident in the stats when you look at the yards per carry. If we were averaging four to five yards per carry um, and guys were just missing hold, like I think it would be – it'd be you could try to put some more blame on the running backs. And I think they do have some some blame at the fullback position. But when you got multiple guys averaging two yards per carry, I think that kind of points to a more systematic problem up front that we have to address. 
And I know we've talked about – Coach Ingram has talked about um, offensive line play going back in the Delaware game. And then hearing the commentators kind of making a point of it was pretty interesting as well. So I think it starts – we were getting beat up front. And when you're getting beat up front, no matter how – what kind of talent, no matter how fast or athletic you are, there's not much you can do. Um, and not without having a, a – without having a dynamic run game either by the fullback or the, or the quarterback. like Because one of those two guys got to gotta be clicking, right? If the fullback's not clicking, the quarterback has to be clicking. If the quarterback's not going to be the runner, the fullback has to carry that load. You have to establish an inside running game that's going to get a substantial amount of yards, three, four, five yards a pop, before you can do anything on the perimeter. Because if you're just running sideline to sideline, that's easy for the defense. All we got to do is play contain and get penetration. So that's if I had to diagnose a problem, I don't think it's a play calling because I like the plays. Like, honestly, I love the plays. I, I wish we were running that stuff <laughs> when I was there. But um, I think it's if you're not if you're not winning up front, if you're if you're not resetting the line of scrimmage, there's really nothing you can do as a play caller to be successful. So as much as it pains me, I think I'm going to shift a little bit of the blame, more of the blame toward the offensive line. Um, unfortunately, I don't have anybody protecting me nowadays, so I don't have to worry about retaliation but that's that's just how i feel based on what i saw we don't have the x factor none of the there's not three four guys in the team that you know the defense is scared of right so then the defense kind of do what they want to do it started off with the first game of the year our offensive line was not you know where we thought they would be and it just continued to trickle down and fullbacks are hurt you know ty does not look healthy to me he looks like uh you know he's not he's not there fully yet um, and it's just, it's a struggle every, every play call and, and, you know, every, uh, every down, it's not like big fullback running through, you know, Hey, he's, he's probably get three and a half, four yards just because that, you know, that guard comboed up just, just to run through that guy. Now it's, you know, one yard, 1.2 yards. It's, it's not, it's not where it needs to be. You know, Eric, you made a good point about the X factor, right? Uh, when you don't have that X factor, you have to be perfect everywhere to be successful like you have to be perfect as a play caller you have to be perfect execution up front everything has to fit up match up perfectly and and like you're taking to your point i think that adequately describes where we are offensively we have to be perfect to make anything happen and that's not a that's not a good way to win you're not gonna win because nobody's perfect so if you don't have that guy that can take a play that isn't it's not the best play you don't have the best blocking you don't have the biggest hole but you can make something make something happen. That's when you start beating teams. That's when you beat Air Force. That's when you beat Army. When when you got guys that make plays that they just are better than everybody else on the field for that play. And I have yet to see that consistently from anyone on the offense. I would say like our best offensive player is Mikel, but he's not in a position based on the way we run our offense. It's really hard for him to be like. We don't run the triple where we where we where we pitch it off the edge and get guys on the ground where he can streak and be like Sean, uh, Sean White was right. We it's not that type of offense. So like somebody has to be really good on the interior game so he can shine on the ex, on the on the perimeter and in the pass game. So I'm kind of putting this on the B's in, in the Q because like Ty has has yet he's made some some plays in the pass game, but he's yet to be an X factor in the run game this entire season. And B back wise, we've been inconsistent at best. We've shown flashes of success, but we've also turned the ball over a lot. And we've also we've had trouble staying healthy. So, you know, without having that inside guy that can be that 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 X factor, like you point out, Eric, man, this makes the offense coordinator job so hard. Cause you look at your play call, 
Like, what do I call here? Like, what can we run? Yeah, who, who, who do I who do I want to use? Who, who's this? It's, it's not it's not Kansas City when every other player is like Eric Bieniemy. He looks at his 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 plays. He's like, all right, well, who's gonna get the ball this time? So I get it. Well, I think Keenan's analysis of the offense blind play is spot on, and I think the offense blind on the whole has been beaten up front in every single game. Navy is not winning the line of scrimmage. They're not knocking the defense off the ball consistently. And the Air Force high replays showed it in that game. There was plays in which there was a jailbreak. Three and four defenders swarming into the backfield. I mean, they just poor blocking. And you got to give credit to the Air Force defensive front. I wrote my follow-up column, and I mentioned them. Chris Herrera. Peyton Zroydek and Kalawai Paskaya. I'm butchering those names, but their three down linemen clearly dominated the line of scrimmage. Because listen to these stats Alec Mock, inside linebacker, 13 tackles. Vince Sanford, outside linebacker, 10 tackles. Bo Richter, inside linebacker, seven tackles. TJ Blackman, inside linebacker, seven tackles. That tells me you got free runners. You got linebackers that are untouched, that are coming in and making plays because nobody's getting a hat on them. So, you know, that's a problem. Now let's go to, obviously, one of the unique elements of this game is that the final statistics were remarkably similar. Um, You go total yardage for Navy and Air Force. The difference here is Navy finished with, 243 total offensive yards. Navy, uh, Air Force had 356. But like I said, a lot of that was on the first two drives. Uh, rushing yards, Navy finished with 114, Air Force 200. Net passing yards, Navy 129, Air Force 156. The difference was Air Force finished drives. And the one drive that really is going to stick out for Navy fans was in the second quarter. After the 27-yard pass to Umbarger, and then there was a couple nice runs by the slots, Vincent Terrell and Mikel Haywood, and Navy's got first and 10 at the 14-yard line. And that, in years past, that was almost might as well chalk up a touchdown. First and 10 from the 14, Navy's going in. So the one play was a, a fullback draw that went nowhere. Then there was the they lined Mikel Haywood up in wildcraft formation. He was all by himself. I don't know who you're fooling there when you put a slot back in the backfield alone to take a direct snap. I mean, he's not throwing a pass, and that went nowhere. And then the final play was a quarterback keeper. Ty took a loss for two yards, ran into a brick wall and dropped for a loss of two yards. Navy had to settle for a field goal, and Daniel Davies went out there and missed a 33-yard field goal. The whole possession was just devastating. I mean, it was one of the first sustained drives Navy had that got into Air Force territory, into scoring range. And to me, the play calling after you got first and goal at the 14 was very curious. You had used some interesting play calling to get where, where you were, to get into the red zone, and then you go bland. Uh, what was your thought on that series in particular, Keenan? 
Um, well, obviously you get inside the red zone, you 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 want to get touchdowns, right? Field goal's okay, but you, you need to score touchdowns. Red zone is like the hardest part of the field to call uh, to call offense because it shrinks the field, shrinks your playbook. It's only so much you can call, only so much you can do. So I think like, and I, I want to say like, this has been a topic that we've talked about multiple times on this podcast, even going back to last year of like Navy's red zone woes. So this isn't actually the first time that this has been a problem. So I think there has to be some like real thought on like, okay, what do we need to do to actually punch these, this score in? Like we saw last week, um, we got down to the one fourth and goal. We couldn't punch it in this week, two times in the red zone, couldn't punch it in. I don't think had to set for field goals. One of which was a missed field goal, which turned out to be pretty costly. And the other one was, you know, obviously a make. So, you know, I think, it's hard to like put your finger on it because I think like, it's just all, all the, the red zone does is exacerbate other issues that have happened like in the middle, in the, in the regular part of the field. Right. So like, if you've been struggling to move the ball throughout the regular part of the field and you get a big play to get you in the red zone, like going back to running your regular offense, you're probably going to struggle some more. Right. So that, that's what I think it is. I don't think it's any, like anything specifically special. It's just like, if you can't move the ball out in the field, then when you get in the red zone, it's even harder to move the ball. Well, Eric, we saw the fullback draw that I have been calling for, and I think it would have gained some yardage except for the left tackle did not execute his block. We all know that on a draw play, the tackle's got to get out there and take out a safety, and the tackle was slow getting there. The safety, to his credit, reacted quickly and came up strong, but that I did like seeing that play call at least because it's something different. I mean, anything that you're seeing, when you watched that game yesterday, Eric, and saw some of the play calling, was there anything that you were looking for, hoping for, or is there anything you noticed that just flat out did not work? As you know, all of us were frustrated, you know, watching the game and, you know, communicating. And I was receiving text messages from, you know, old players and, you know, with the the fullback going out so early. And then – you also have to think too, you know, Coach Jasper and Coach Neiman. It's all about the trust and also preparation of the of the backups. And you know, do they know the plays? Do they know where the footwork goes? And a lot of stuff comes into it. You know, once the you know younger players start come get involved, especially in game time situations, and more importantly, in the Commander in Chief situation versus Air Force. Um, you know that that the field goal missing that was, was huge. That was that was that was, that was bad. You know, we, any news on? And um, Nichols getting back at all? What's what's the deal with that? Uh, your guess is as good as mine. I had no idea that this leg injury would keep him out four games. It's baffling to me, but I hope he does get back soon because Navy needs him. And uh, they also Riley Reithman is injured, and he punted once, uh, and it, I think he must have tweaked whatever issue he had because then he was taken out. Kellen Grava de Peralta did have an incredible, like, 68-yard punt, but he also shanked one badly that led to a flipping field position. So, yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know where that's there. We talked about that, you know, with Paul John's podcast of, you know, us dominating special teams, and usually we do very well in those games, and Air Force is opposite, and it was kind of, a, you know, vice versa with us this game. And as you know, those three points add up so much. Um, and that those three points, you know, change a, 
coaches play calls, um, defense plays differently. So it just, uh, it's the game of inches and we, you know, we did not finish and we did not start off strong. And we, we talked about that. We were kind of you know, concerned with the, the long travel and, um, you know, be on the bus and early start games. So what, hey, Billy, you're on the field. I'm kind of curious. And some of the listeners are about what was kind of the vibe of the players, the staff, and then also the fans of having that such early start game. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, the Air Force fans showed up in force. They were there like a typical Air Force game. So I don't I don't think it affected their fan base. I mean, it was certainly weird. I actually was part of the Navy convoy going from the hotel in in it was actually really suburban Denver. It was all already on the way out toward Colorado Springs. So it, but I was part of the convoy uh, and I mean, they had a 5 a.m. wake up call. They had their breakfast at the team hotel. And they were walking to the buses at 6.30. And they were on the buses departed the parking lots at 6.40 for the drive to Colorado Springs. So, I mean, it, I don't care who you are. You, no football player is used to beginning the, the trip to the stadium at 6.30 and walking into the locker room at 7.40. It's, it's got to be strange. Uh, it was, you know, strange for, you know, a fullback especially, but, you know, Keating could probably more elaborate in this is, you know, as a fullback or running back, you know, the play calls are more simpler, you know, you do certain routes, you know, quarterback, you know, you got to change audibles, you got to move around, you got you to get prepared in the morning for different, different things. So, you know, I know personally, I would not perform well in the morning. I, I was never a good guy, you know, at all in the mornings. Yeah, I mean, you definitely got to – I think we had the benefit of, uh, of of kind of our body clock being still two hours ahead, so it really wasn't 5 a.m. It was more like, you know, 7. So it was like playing a it's like playing a noon game at home, which we had done this year, right? So wouldn't be the first time that we operated in that kind of method. Um, the time may have said something different when they woke up, but, like, their, their circadian rhythm probably hadn't adjusted by that point, and so they're probably still kind of on Eastern time zone. Uh, like body wise. So, you know, that may have helped, but I, I, I don't think that, I think if you did the prep, all that you need to do during the week, like, you know, there's not, nothing like walking into that stadium, like it'll wake you up real fast. You know what I'm saying? Like you get the, the gravity of what, what's about to happen in the game you're about to play. Like it's not lost to anybody to where we're walking in there sleepy. Um, if you are sleepy, by the time you get on that field, you're going to be like, all right, this is the real deal. You know what I'm saying? Especially the guys that have never played in, in Colorado Springs before. Like it's definitely one of those, like, wow, we, like this is a real, this is a serious game, you know. It's like it's on par with Army Navy. The location is just different. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think, and I don't think you're applying this, Eric, but I don't think that, uh, that that affected them. And I'm certainly not going to let them let anybody use it as a cop out. But it's it's obviously not ideal. I mean, obviously, this was for a national televised game, CBS, right? But clearly, not ideal to be playing that early in the morning. Well, guys, Navy is one and three. That's the bottom line. Going into a home game against Tulsa this Saturday, 3.30 p.m. start at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium. I want you guys to think over the week because I posited in my column today that Navy really doesn't needs to do a serious reset on offense. They're going to have to have a real come to Jesus as to what can we do that works? What do we scrap? What do we add? So I think on our podcast, looking ahead at the Tulsa game, I want you guys to talk about that type of thing. Um, 
Keenan, do you have a thought already? Yeah, I mean, we talked about that coming out of the Delaware game because that was the thing that was very apparent is like we don't have an identity on offense and we need to figure it out fast, like coming out of that Delaware game. Um, and then we had, you know, the bye week. So I, they've had time to do that. I, I don't necessarily – I'm not so sure it's a schematic problem, in my opinion. I don't know if it's all schematics. Uh, and I'll just leave it there. Well, guys, I'll tell you what, I'm going to do something. Uh, and our, our producer, Chris Savella, said, yeah, instead of a come to D, maybe it's a come to Paul Johnson uh, uh, meeting. But I'm going to real quickly ask our friends from the Sing Second Sports podcast, because they kind of bring the fan perspective. So why don't you guys kind of give your fan perspective? And if you have anything you want to ask either Keenan or Eric, uh, go ahead. Well, I'll tell you what, Wags, one thing we didn't really cover is that, number one, I hate these dudes. Number two, they cheat. Uh, we didn't cover the whole scandal that broke during the week before the game and the number of thro- or, uh, turnbacks that they had playing. Like, from a fan perspective, I want to know that. I think that Scott Strassmeyer put out that Air Force had something like 10 fifth-year seniors and fourth-year juniors in the game including several of the players who made key plays like wide receiver David Cormier. Uh, yes, they had, they have extra year guys and it makes a difference. And um, I'll just tell you something else that happened. And this is all Air Force gamesmanship, but Air Force was doing some things at the line of scrimmage. I could hear the Navy coaches yelling because they were screaming. You can't do that. You can't do that. They were making like, late substitutions or, or changing. I don't know what it was. I don't know the details, but the coaches, Navy coaches were pissed off. And I can tell you the Navy defense had some troubles getting lined up early on and the coaches were screaming, get lined up, get lined up. Cause they were shifting. Didn't look like guys knew what, where they were supposed to be. So thankfully they got that corrected relatively quickly, but early on there was some gamesmanship going on. Shocking. Well, I mean, and then for Keenan and Eric, from my perspective, you guys talked during the during the pod, which I found fascinating. The the missing it factor, the the guy that you know Ashley or or IJ or Kenny needs to like draw up a play for, like you know, is that is that available in in lieu of Ty Lavatai? Is that available? If Mikel Haywood goes down, have we failed in recruiting or is this just kind of what we deal with and we're just going to have to make lemonade out of the lemons right now with no disrespect to them? I'm not calling the current uh, crop of players who play their heart out on on Saturday lemons, but where do we make up that gap for that it factor that you referenced? That's a good question. That's a great question, John. (laughs) I don't, I don't think it's a recruiting thing because, like, you could have a guy that uh, has, like, the best high school highlights where you're like, wow, this dude is incredible. And then they get on campus and they just it's just not a fit. So, like, it's more that goes into it to, like, the pure talent. Like, sometimes the academy in all of its rigor is not the place for certain folks. And, it, and when you have a whole lot of other things on your mind, school, military, et cetera, like, it can definitely weigh on your performance on the field. So, like, all those things kind of come into mind. Um, I also think, like, the, the option is not an easy offense to run at quarterbacks. So like you can't run the entire offense checks, run the ball, throw the ball. It's hard for them to put you out there because you kind of handicap their play calling. And we saw that with Xavier with he, he wasn't throwing the ball very well. He's a great runner, but wasn't throwing it well. So that handicaps their play calling ability. So now you got Ty who's 
an okay runner, not a, not a slasher, but he throws the ball well and he can run the offense. So that's why he put him in. So like, I think at some point it's like, I don't necessarily think it's a lack of talent. I think it's just somebody got to step up and take, take the reins. Like that's what I would say at this point, I'm putting on the players, somebody step up and make a play. I, I say that almost every week is like somebody got to step up when it, when it's like crunch time and take control of the game. And like, we, we see flashes here and there of folks doing it. You know, we see Ty doing it in the army game, but like, can you do it week in and week out? That's what, that's really what it comes down to. It's like, we don't need flashes. We don't need people show up this week and then disappear for three weeks. I need you to be the man every single game, because that's the only way you can be successful playing the type of schedules that we play. And Eric, if you were like the OC going forward, all right. So now you're one and three. Um, You've seen a whole lot more passing of late out of desperation, really, because the triple isn't working. Do you start experimenting if you're the offensive coordinator going forward with a more throw heavy offense? Like, is it time to just kind of say, hey, let's throw some stuff up on the wall and see what works. Not going to go to a bowl this year, which, again, I, I know that I'm opposite Winston Wolfing this like. The sky is not falling like one and three is not a lost season. But do you start experimenting a little bit? Well, you know, you can start off with two sides. Right. So first, we should have, you know, definitely won our home opener. Right. That should have been an easy, you know, uh, East use a win. And then Air Force, I think if we would have done a couple other things, started off fast and quick. I think we should have won this game. You know, as Keenan said, you know, the athletes are good. You know, they're recruited, but if you want to talk about recruiting, um, if you look at, I think eight years ago, Sean McGee was the recruiting coordinator. He now he left the University of Michigan, was pretty much uh, Harbaugh's right hand man. He left there and now he's a chief of staff at the Bears. So he did a phenomenal job of getting players in, but also it wasn't just the players, it was the organization of the coaches. The coaches are one that are going, to, going out there and recruiting. Each coach has a separate area recruiting, you know, if it's a state or multiple states, and they go out there and they do a phenomenal job. So when I was recruited, Coach Munker recruited me, and he was a phenomenal recruiter. He would was nonstop telephone call and making sure I was going to come to the visit. He was on me the entire time. And more importantly, when I was there as a freshman, he had my back. You know, when these, when these coaches recruit their players, they say, hey, that's, that's my guy, you know, and if that guy does well, you know, those coaches know that if the, if the player does not do well, then, hey, that, that's something that's, you know, all the coaches notice that as well. He so was I'm making not, sure that you finished in the top 100 order of merit wise. So, yeah, I, I mean, um, that obviously worked. Well done. Coach. <laughs> obviously, uh, no, he didn't cheat like Air Force, John. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, it was uh, yeah, definitely a uh, you know, top 100 of merit. No, not at all. Um but no, but the coaches, you know, Coach Munga did take care of me. He made sure he you know, went over his house, had you know dinner with his family, stuff like that. And they, you know, it's a small stuff that these coaches do for these players. That's why we talk. We talk about the brotherhood, you know, coming together. So you know, that's that's, that's my two cents. Well, guys, a great discussion. A um, lot of thoughts there to ponder. Uh, Chris Cervello has declined to join the discussion because he was so frustrated by what he saw on Saturday. We are going to wrap it up for the Navy football post game report. Thanks to our great presenting sponsor, New Day USA. We will talk to you later in the week when we do the Tulsa preview. See you then.
thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of the podcast segment.